Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, we are thrilled regarding the legacy that Cornerstone has. And the legacy is about people. Uh, We know one day brick and mortar will fall down. We hope not sooner than later. But it's people. Church is not building. It's people. It's lives. And this is a testimony of lives. And so if uh, you happen to happens to be your first Sunday, you're here and you're just visiting and you're just wondering, what's all this talk about 30 years? Well, we're just using today as a celebration of 30 years of existence as a body of believers. And uh, we're celebrating it today. I want to welcome those that uh, have been a part of our church history past. So um, how do I ask? Pastor Jerry, what was the last year that you were here? 2006. How many are here today and you were here 2006 or earlier? Would you raise your hands? You've been... Wow. Okay. Bless you guys. Bless you guys. Glad to have you with us. Uh, Thanks for joining us today. I also want to recognize those on live stream and you as well. Uh, I couldn't see your hand, but uh, I know that some are tuning in live stream today because you couldn't make the trip here. So again, welcome, and especially those who are alumni to Cornerstone Church. I want to, uh, just just a quick announcement at the end. Again, as you leave, we ask that there's going to be opportunity. If you go outside, gorgeous day out there, if you go outside under the overhang, you'll get an opportunity, especially those who know Pastor Jerry and Elaine They'll be outside. I'm, Lori and I are going to escort them on out here to the right and go to the back, and, and they'll be under the overhang. So you can see them and talk to them there. Uh, don't hug them, but uh, you can talk to them there. We thank you for that. We've got a special gift if you're here, part of our Cornerstone family uh, today, visiting with us today. We have a gift for you, so make sure you get your gift. My wife will be out there passing those gifts out. When you go out the main doors, glass doors, turn to the right. It's just, it'll be right there. Well... Dr. Jerry Ton, married to Elaine, has two daughters, two sons-in-laws, four grandchildren. He's been pastoring for 37 years, served as lead pastor at Cedarview Church in Paris, Ontario, as well as, of course, here at Cornerstone. In addition, he teaches undergrad, master's, Bible college, and seminary, deals with pastoral restoration needs within the district's and we are delighted for them to be with us today. Would you give them a warm welcome as they come? Thank you. It always takes a minute. Okay. He'll get it together. The pages are numbered, right? Lesson to self, number your pages. (laughs) Well, congratulations. It's so exciting to be here. Um, Congratulations on 30 years. And congratulations on your amazing reno. Really, really sharp. Um, Very impressive. I love it. Um, Just, you know... HGTV is my favorite channel. So I just have great appreciation for Renault's. 
I thought that I would uh, share just a little bit of family and ministry history and just what's happened, just to update you a little bit. When we came to Aurora Cornerstone in 93, we had two little girls in tow. Um, Alyssa was seven, and Sharice, I was thinking back, I said three, but she was not quite three. She was uh, just a little over two. And my fond memory of one of the first baptisms was that she wanted in the pool with Daddy. And I had to hang on for dear life because she wanted in. And uh, some of you will remember that. Alyssa has since married her high school sweetheart, Jonathan Meyer, and they live and work in Mount Albert. And they have blessed us with three grandchildren, Kaya, Ashton, and Ella, and Alyssa and the girls were in the earlier service. Sharice has since married Micah Wen back in 2016, and they have blessed us with Noah, who is 14 months old now and is an absolute delight. Sharice and Micah are involved in an urban ministry in, called Move In, and they live in Scarborough, and uh, they're not here today uh, just to limit their exposure as they live in a vulnerable community. So ministry-wise, it's hard to encapsulate 14-plus years in just a few moments. But as uh, your pastor mentioned, we did pastor at Cedarview in Paris, Ontario. No, not Paris, France. And those were great years. We also branched out to other ministry um, areas. Myself, I'm a workplace chaplain, and I enjoy doing that at a couple of locations. As well, I'm a wedding officiant, and I have the privilege of officiating dozens of weddings every year and bringing Jesus to the marketplace, right? Um, now, obviously, not all of these weddings happened this year, but God's been faithful, and I think 2021 is going to be very busy. Uh, as your pastor mentioned, Jerry teaches in Peterborough. It's a long drive, but he loves it, and so he makes that trek when he's teaching there at Masters. We've also immersed ourselves in mental health training, which Jerry teaches at churches and organizations, and that's become a real passion of ours. And then lastly, just a, a month ago, we took on a new role as part-time transitional pastors at Evangel Church in Brantford, and we're delighted uh, and and just considered a real privilege and joy to serve that beautiful congregation as they're in transition. So to today, uh, I found, as I was reflecting on this, I found that when you leave a church, you leave a part of your heart there. And certainly, um, Aurora Cornerstone has always had a piece of our heart. And we still feel connected through the Spirit, even if we're not connected physically. And our greatest joy is to hear that you're doing well and that you're prospering spiritually. So I echo St. Paul's words that he said to the Philippian church. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May God bless each of you.
Thank you very much, Elaine. It's an honor and a privilege to be here today. And uh, whenever you kind of leave a church, you kind of hope that uh, it continues in good hands. And I think when you, you were in Alliston, right? Is that, and you probably had the same feelings. Isn't it wonderful to have Pastor Wayne and Lori and the great job they're doing here at Cornerstone? Uh, when I heard they were coming here, I was thrilled. So I just uh, had a funny, I always have these funny thoughts. I just kind of, my notes went everywhere. Uh, you guys want to hear a funny story. So one day I'm preaching away, and when I was at Cedarview, I used to send my, my sermon to the copier. And what I didn't know was that the pages ran out. And I was up on a Sunday morning preaching away, and suddenly my sermon ended. So those are funny stories that happened in the ministry. And so I had to make the rest up, sort of. But anyway... Uh, it's good to have you today here, and I'm looking, and I'm scanning the audience, and I recognize many of you. Uh, many of you have come back just to say hello, and it's an honor and a privilege to have you today here at Cornerstone Church. Well, life goes on, right? Here we are, COVID 2020. Uh, this will be a year to remember, but you know, things still continue as usual, we still have children being born, and uh, there's a, probably a picture of our family up there, our children and our grandchildren, and uh, life has its ups and downs. Have you noticed that? This year, life has had its ups and downs. We've, we've seen hospitals this year in, uh, that have been kind of wrestling with anxiety and issues and shift in culture, and this morning in my morning service, I mentioned that I went into, uh, the city of Toronto asked me to go and do some COVID uh, anxiety work with staff with the long-term residencies in Toronto when the outbreaks were happening in the news back in March and April. So I went uh, to a couple of the long-term residencies and I dealt with the staff and these were really, really difficult times. And uh, for some of us, the anxiety has even become chronic I think the media is having an impact on us. Uh, we decided a couple months ago we're not going to watch any media because it was, you know, every time you turn the TV on, you know, so many millions have got COVID and so many, and it was like, it was just terrible news all the time. So, but now we're back watching the media because I built some resiliency and capacity stuff. So, um, and I don't trust everything. So not saying the media is wrong, but not you know, into the conspiracy stuff, but at the same time, we got to look at this realistically, right? But we have questions like, will our children be safe in school? Uh, will our kids bring COVID home to us? What are the long-term impacts on, at my work? Uh, why, you know, why is there stress in our home relationships? Um, what happens if I come into close contact with someone who has COVID? Uh, when I was doing the, the work in the long-term residency, uh, one of the uh, administrators uh, had COVID. I had no idea. And we were interacting, and I was like a foot apart from her sometimes. This is back in March. And then a week later, the city of Toronto informs me she had COVID. And that was kind of a freaky experience. So I'm getting my eyeglasses uh, at Costco, and you have to check off, have you been in contact with someone who had COVID? Close contact, had to check yes, you know, those kinds of things. Um, and then we have questions like, will a vaccine be ready? Will it work? Will it be safe? What about our faith issues? What is God saying to us during this 
particular time in the sovereignty of God? How do I ensure that the faith of our children and family will remain intact? How is our church to function during these difficult times? Have you wrestled with some of that? Well, God, I think, has a solution. We need to get back to the basics. We need to practice love, agape love. And uh, Mother Teresa is a symbol to many of us of somebody who loved, who thoroughly loved. We need to get back to the basics and have Christians caring for one another. The call of God is a call of love. And COVID has caused us to rethink our strategies. And so this morning, I want to look at a passage in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. I want to look at the Ephesian church. What I do want to say today, this is not a harsh rebuke. Uh, I don't see it that way. Some of the other churches got some harsh rebukes. This is a church that has a lot of things that Jesus commends. So it's not a hard, harsh rebuke. It's a word of encouragement. And the idea being Jesus trying to protect the church from making a big mistake. And we will look at that mistake. So Revelation chapter 2 verses 1 to 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write. I want you to know that angel means messenger or pastor. To the pastor or elder of the church in Ephesus write. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first, If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you hate. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is good for COVID. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church today as we work through this pandemic. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. A little quick outline. Acts chapter 18 to 20 kind of describes the background of the Ephesian church. Ephesus is a large, multi-ethnic center of trade, commerce, and culture. The Greek god goddess Artemis, or Diana to the Romans, is particularly important to the Ephesians. Artemis is the goddess of fertility. Ephesus is also a major business center, very wealthy city. She's on a main main trade route, has a key harbor, and Ephesus is a bustling, multicultural city of trade and entertainment. In addition, Ephesus is pluralistic in every way. Many ethnic and cultural backgrounds are represented in the city, and religious pluralism is entrenched and embraced. Moral beliefs 
like religious ones, are diverse. As a result, anyone who claims to have the right religion or the only God or the ultimate truth will face acute rejection and social pressure and persecution. And into this environment, into this city, Paul comes. And he comes into a synagogue where he preaches boldly for three months, but then runs into problems with some of the believers, not believers, sorry, the Jewish people in the synagogue, and they begin to cause him pressure, and he has to move out of the synagogue and moves into a lecture hall. And here he has daily discussions in the lecture hall, preaching for two years. God does extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touch him are taken to the sick, and their illnesses are cured, and evil spirits leave them. But this ticked off the businessmen, because they, ha- they would make these little figurines of the, of, the, of the goddess Artemis, and they would sell these little figurines to the people who would worship this particular idol. Well, suddenly, and that worked good in a pluralistic system, suddenly Paul comes onto the picture and says there's only one God, there's only one way to God. He preaches Jesus, and so these businessmen get together and uh, they probably, you know, had their own little business bureau thing, you know, like, you know, like the Chamber of Commerce of Ephesus or whatever it was. And they all got together and they said, we got to get rid of this guy because he's going to wreck our business. And they actually caused an outcry to happen. Soon there's a demonstration. And eventually Paul is forced to leave the city because there's such, such rioting almost happening. People are gathering and they're upset But yet, the truth remained that people had been touched by the power of God, and so the church continued. Fast track a number of years later to where Paul is in prison, and he writes a beautiful letter depicting the majesty of Christ, the mystery of salvation, and the unity of the church, which is the gospel uh, uh, to the Ephesians. And then, go ahead, a number of years ahead, and... John is on the island of Patmos and he sees a vision and Jesus is in the middle of the seven golden lampstands. I didn't mention that this morning. The word middle is significant because it tells us of the special presence of God. There's what we call the omnipresence of God where God is everywhere and then there's the special presence of God and he is in the middle of of the golden lampstands which is the special presence of God. Another place where we find the special presence of God is where two or three are gathered in my name. There I am in the midst of them. Also note the lampstands. They are golden, a sign of purity and perfection. Now, we believe that every believer is made righteous because of the high priestly work of Jesus. Even when I sin, even when I fail, Jesus sits at the right-hand side of the Father making intercession for me. But I believe this high priestly work is also corporate. When believers gather together, Jesus makes intercession. And so how he sees the local church is that he sees it as pure and perfect. He sees it as a golden lampstand. A number of years ago, when I was in seminary, one of my professors brought something up that I had never, ever thought about. 
previously. When does a church cease being a church? When is the golden lampstand removed? Well, I may come back to that later on, okay? As to when a church, you you can still call yourself a church, you can have the name church, but there comes a time when the lampstand is removed. I'll talk about that in a few moments. So, there's three things that I want to focus in on this morning. There is the commendation section. How many of you like sports? How many of you like your coaches? How many of you like basketball? Just a few of you? Only those who like basketball will get this joke. I actually read it, so it's not my own. Kawhi would have been better off staying with a nurse rather than pursuing a doc. (laughs) Okay, a few of you got that. If you don't get it, talk to someone later on and they'll fill you in, right? Uh, Nick Nurse is the the, uh, coach of the uh, uh, Toronto Raptors and Doc Rivers is the coach of the team that Kawhi went to. So the joke is he would have been better off staying with a nurse than going after a doctor. So anyway, that's kind of a little bit of a humor there. But anyway, when it comes to the Ephesian church, Jesus knows their works. He knows their labor. He knows their works. Aurora Cornerstone Church began in 1990. We have Egan and Hannah Christensen here this morning. They are some of the originals. Do you want to just wave? They were here 30 years ago. Let's give them a hand. So they will know some of this story. The church began in a home with Reverend Darren Godfrey. Darren's a good friend of mine. I got to know him in the mid-1980s because he was my father-in-law's youth pastor in Edmonton at the time. And I got to know Darren. And Darren was walking the streets of Mississauga. And I didn't share all of this in the first service, so new stuff's coming to me. And uh, uh, walking the streets in Mississauga, and God said to Darren... Plant a church in Aurora. And he did. Darren did it, and we took over in 1993. We had about 80 people when Pastor Darren left. It was the third attempt by the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada to try to plant a church in Aurora. The previous two failed. We were renting a seniors activity center which I think was maybe 1,500 square feet, maybe a little bit bigger, I'm not totally sure, where we would meet every Sunday. Uh, we had some funny things happen, Egan and Hannah, you will remember this, Barry and Lynn are here. Uh, in the senior center, uh, during Christmas, they put up beautiful Christmas decorations. But the Sunday uh, before Halloween was always interesting. So we had all these goblins and ghosts and witches. Remember that? Hanging from the ceiling. And, we, and I had to preach in that environment. But it was, it was the most fascinating experience. We would also rent a warehouse where we ran our youth ministries and prayer meetings. We needed to move to another facility. So we began to look for other places to rent. We needed about 5,000 square feet. This is about 1994 when, we, when I was involved in trying to find a place to rent. Egan, were you on the steering committee when we did that? I think you were. You were a part of that. And what we discovered in 1994 
that our best prices to rent a 5,000 square foot building would cost us about 6,000 a month in leaseholds. Plus, we had to do leasehold improvements up front. Some places would have required a significant amount of money just to get the place into, uh, you know, make it viable for a church. One night, and I can say now this was God, at the time I would have said, I, I feel this is God. You know, I'm very careful with these prophetic words, but at this time I can say it was God. One night I couldn't sleep. You ever had that? And so I walked uh, in our house, and if some of you have been, were in our house in Murray, you know what I'm talking about. There's a living room area, and it was part of our dining room. And I walked that place uh, one night saying, God, what are we going to do? Like, I was freaking out. This is, we can't go anywhere. We don't have the money. We had 80 people. We had $4,000 in our building fund. And we were pace, I was pacing, and the Lord said to me, Go to the district and say that if we come up with $100,000, will you, the district, lend us $150,000 cash? If we come up with $100,000 for the church, will you lend us $150,000? I went to the steering committee and they agreed with my thought process. Uh, Barry and Lynn O'Neill are here and I shared it with Barry and he, you know, he's a very big businessman. I, by the way, I got permission that I could share this. So, just in case you're wondering. And Barry said, I don't know if this is going to work, right? And I would have done what Barry did, right? Jerry's sort of gone off the deep end now. Like, this is like going there. And um, we went to the Eastern District. They were in Coburg, Ontario. And it was uh, during camp time. And it was in July. And we went in and had a meeting, and we said, if we raise $100,000, will you lend us $150,000? And they had a meeting for about half an hour, and then they came back. Egan, were you a part of that? I don't remember if you were a part of that. I can't remember. Then about half an hour later, they came back, and they said, yes, if you raise $100,000, we'll lend you $150,000. I found out from the district that they were skeptical later on, because these guys are friends of mine today. I found out later on they were very skeptical that this would work. But if it would work, it would take like three years to raise $100,000. We met on like a Thursday or a Friday, something like that. And the next Monday morning, one of the members of my steering committee received a phone call from a business, a couple of businessmen, wondering just out of the blue, how the church was doing. And one of my steering committee members said, it's glad you called because we just had a meeting and if we raise $100,000 cash, then uh, the district will lend us $150,000. He said, let me put you on hold. So he put the, this steering committee member on hold, came back a few minutes later and said, okay, my partner and I will give you 50000 bucks." That was a few days later. Within a very short while after that, and I don't recall exactly how long, but very short while, I get this envelope with a check. I read the letter. There was a letter that accompanied this check from somebody from another city. I did not know this person. 
This person said, I need to sleep. This is how the letter went. It's one of the most interesting letters I ever got. I need to sleep. I have fought with God for a week, but he's not letting me sleep. I have had enough. I'm sort of paraphrasing what was in the letter. I've had enough. I need to sleep. Here's $85,000. We went back to the district one month later and said we got our 100000 bucks. They thought it would take us three years. They were scrambling to try to find 150000 bucks for us. To the glory of God, I'm here to tell you that we received over $550,000 in gifts in two years to build this building. (laughs) This building was a million dollars, including the land. In 1997, we moved in, including the land. We and. We entered into this, uh, uh, when we, our first Sunday, we had a $440,000 mortgage. It was unbelievable. But there's an interesting side note I shared it this morning because it's kind of a cool story. We had all our drawings finished, all the permits issued to build this building, and a friend of mine, a businessman, happened to be flying through Toronto and, and phoned me and said, Jerry, can I come and see you? I said, sure. So he was just on his way to another city and he just happened to come into Toronto. The sovereignty of God, I, I mentioned that this morning. We would have been messed up. We would not be in this situation had God not done this, right? He's just flying through Toronto, has like a day or whatever stopover. I don't even know if it was a day. It might have been, a, well, it might have been a day. Not, not very long. Maybe it was even a few days. I can't remember. But he has a short stopover in Toronto. And he says, I want to see your plans. So I showed him the plans. And he says, your building is too small. Okay? So the original drawings, the building was going to end where that wall is. Right? He says, this is much too small. You're going to outgrow this very soon. And then you're going to have a problem. And, and you've got to move another 15 feet back. I said, good for you to say that. But we've maxed out our budget at a million dollars. And we can't do any more. And he says, no, you have to. I says, we can't. We don't have the money. He says, listen, Jerry. I will pay for the extra 15 feet, every cent. And we moved the building back another 15 feet, which is now your lobby. Isn't that amazing? So God really intervened. And uh, so we had to redo our plans, get new permits from the, from the city, and it was... which. I had a, there was a man working there, a Christian guy, who kind of looked after our, our, our building here. Uh, he was a missionary alliance guy, and he said, Jerry, i got to tell you something. Just let me handle this thing, this whole project, because we got some non-Christians here. I'm going to make sure this, everything goes through. From day one, he worked with us, so we got all our permits. There's little things like that that God did, putting Christians in, in the right place, right? And... Uh, when we left in 2006, we had two services. Those of you that are here today remember that. We had almost 500 people at Cornerstone. We had over 30 small groups. We ran several children's outreaches every year. We did VBS every year, and then we also did special outreaches like Rubber Chicken Company. 
they would come. And we would have 150 to 200 kids at every event and saw many, many kids come to Christ. I shared this story as well this morning. It's just a cool story. Those of you that are here today will know who I'm talking about. And uh, I had a lady who got marvelously saved from a Catholic background. And she later got involved in worship and drama. Some of you are here who know who she is. And um, she was, and, and Lord healed her marriage. Six months later, her husband got saved. They were going to get divorced. They had decided to get divorced 25 years ago. They're just doing well to this very day. And she got saved and so transformed by the power of God that while we were in the building process, we were putting up walls and stuff, she gives me a call and says, Pastor Jerry, she'd only been saved a short while, I think a month or so. She said, Pastor Jerry, I have people that also want to get saved and they want to learn the Bible. Could you do a Bible study in my home? I said, oh yeah. I said, after January, when the building project is over, this is my, how the human brain works, uh, after the building project is over in, in January, I'll come and do the Bible study. She says, and I remember the tone of her voice, she says, okay. I says, okay, thank you. Anyway, a week later she calls me. She says, Pastor Jerry, yeah, we're ready now for a Bible study. <laughs> And in those days, this is 1997, those days we didn't have Alpha, we didn't have any of that, so I thought, what am I going to do with these people? So anyway, I go to the house thinking, ah, two or three people maybe will be. Wall-to-wall people around her living room. I was blown away. It must mean 20 people in her living room. Wall-to-wall. I began to share, I thought, well, I guess what I'll do is just go through John chapter 1, see what happens. Then John 2, and you know, John, you know, is a pretty safe place to start when you're trying to tell people about Jesus. And uh, I remember telling them over and over again that if you believe, it actually says this, I think, 36 times in the Gospel of John in different ways, if you believe, you have life. I think it's 36 times in different ways. Those who believe have life. I was into the Bible. The next Sunday they were in church. How many of you remember that? They were throwing dinky cars, dinky toys, the kids. Well, the kids were showing up at the senior center. And they threw dinky toys right to, while I was preaching. And later I had some, uh, you guys remember that? Yeah, you do. And, and then I had some, you know, seasoned Christians uh, talk to me like during the week and say, Pastor Jerry, I think you should say something to those people. I said, I'm not saying anything to those people. <laughs> Just leave them alone. I don't mind if dinky toys go flying by me while I'm preaching. That's okay. Let's see what God does. They came to church the next week. Our attendance just went like this, from like 60 to 80. You guys remember that? All these people showed up. The third week into the Bible study, I thought, I'm, it just had an impression. Just an impression. I now know it was the Holy Spirit. How many of you maybe today, would like to follow what Gospel of John is all about. If you have believe, you have life. How many of you would like to accept the Lord? All the hands went up. We had 20, almost 20 people get saved in one, in one Bible study. 
Then we started, then we had to baptize them right here in this tank. There's a funny story about that. First time we did a baptism, we didn't know how hot this tank got. So uh, we just turned it on, you know, maximum, and put the lid on, right? And Sunday morning we took it off, and all oh, the steam is, you guys remember that? <laughs> steam is going up. And we went in, we came out totally red like lobsters. It was a hot tub. It was about 120 degrees in there. And, but we, we, our first baptism, I think, was like 25 people. It was amazing. We, I, I, I was thinking about this, and I think I'm conservative on this. We had two alpha groups running. Uh, because we had one, and it filled up, and we had to do another one. I forget how many people we had at the Alpha. Does anybody remember at the groups? But I would guess we had with the two groups probably 40 people going through the Alpha programs. And I was piecing this together, and I think conservatively, we saw 100 adults come to Christ in the 13 years we were here. Many who are still passionately serving God to this very day. We had divine healings happen. We had a lady who's had three vital organs shut down, her heart, her kidney, and her lungs. And her doctor said, her doctor said, you will die. Remember that story? And we started a prayer chain. And supernaturally and instantly, almost instantly, within hours, God healed her completely. She's still doing well to this very day. So we saw God do great things. But here's the cool news. And the great ministry continues with Pastor Wayne and Pastor Lori. The great great ministry is continuing. It doesn't doesn't end. It, It has continued all these years. Jesus said, I know your works. I know your labors. That tells me that Jesus is well versed on what every local church is doing. He's well, he knows of the different ministries we, we do. And he knows that the church had patient endurance. This church had patient endurance when they couldn't find a place to get out of the senior center. Remember that? Remember talking to some of you and trying to encourage you, nah, God's going to do something. Remember? There was like this, like, we didn't grow weary. We, cons- we pursued uh, with patient endurance. Jesus knew of the Ephesian church's pursuit of purity. The Nicolaitans were known for their sexual immorality. And they were, they were dealing with that. They were pursuing purity. Um, Jesus knew of their pursuit of pure doctrine. The word of God was being preached in Ephesus. Jesus knew that they could not bear with those who were evil. This was a testing church. Uh, This was a church that identified false teachers and apostles and excommunicated them. They did everything right. It's the kind of church that you would want to be a part of. But there's also a correction section. Those of us who are parents, right? How many of us are parents? Do you remember the times where you had to spend an evening with that son of yours? You ever remember those? Or that daughter of yours? Remember those days? And you had to practice parenting. Well, there's a correction section. And Jesus says, I have this that I want to tell you. You have abandoned your first love. In our denomination, I'm part of what's called the Vitalized Committee. 
for, the Canadian, for all Canada. And uh, we were meeting, a bunch of us, with Reverend David Wells, our superintendent, and he brought a seminar speaker in, which blew my mind. And the seminar speaker went up, and he began to write on the whiteboard. How many of you have, well, anyway, if you're a John Maxwell fan, a fan this might, might cause you to think a little bit, okay? Remember, John Maxwell, leadership is influence, right? And I believe that, but I'm going to just push back on that a little bit. This guy got up on the whiteboard and said, when the purpose of the church moves from love to influence, the church is in trouble. We're all sitting there, about 10 of us, and we're like, oh, I've got to think about this. When the purpose of the church moves from love to influence. Then he be, he's a church history person, so he begins to talk about the early church, you know, up to 300 AD. And then after the Council of Nicaea, the church goes down like this. Ah, oh, he says, this is where the church moved its purpose from love to influence. Then he comes back to the Reformation, Martin Luther, and there's a crisis time in the church. He has this on the picture. He says, the church recognized had moved from love to influence. The Reformation happened. And he, and he kept showing us pictures like that. He kept saying, in church history, when the church moves from love to influence, the church is in trouble. If influence is an outcome of love, like Mother Teresa, that's a good thing. But when the purpose of the church moves from love to influence, the church is in trouble. If the purpose of the church becomes the best program, the biggest buildings, the best worship teams, the best political influence, however good these things may be, if this becomes the purpose of the church, the church is in trouble. We often give in to the temptation of changing the purpose from love to influence. Love needs to be the driving force of every church. Now, let's define this love. It is known as agape love. Most social justice organizations in this world operate on the premise of filial love. Filial love is a love that we have for each other, for humanity. You know, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, based on filial. So almost every social justice organization, like Black Lives Matters, runs on the premise of filial love. But there was a man, many years ago, known as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He did not operate out of filial love. He operated out of agape love because he was a believer, because Christ was in him. And the church should have the biggest impact when it comes to social justice issues. We should have the biggest impact on our world. Amen? And when the church moves its purpose from agape love, which is supernatural love that God gives us, at the moment of salvation, when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, and we are God's Spirit bears witness with our spirits, we are children of God, and the Holy Spirit comes in, and we are filled with His love. That happens when we accept Christ. If, if, if we operate out of that agape love, 
we should have the greatest influence. And agape love should be the driving force of every church. But if we move away from that and move to influence, we can be in trouble. So Jesus says to the Ephesian church, I want to correct you a little bit. You're doing a lot of good stuff, but you are falling into the temptation of moving from love to influence. And finally, there is the counsel section. Some of us have had to go for counseling. I have as well. It's a picture of the psychotherapist, right? The person who kind of counsels us. Jesus says, remember your first love. Remember when you first experienced agape. You know, it's easy to get into influence and stuff. But remember agape. Repent. That means change of mind. And by the way, repent is in the present tense. 2 Corinthians 7, 10 and 11 talks about godly sorrow. We are always to be repenting. We are always supposed to be changing our mind in accordance with the will of God, with his word, with what the Holy Spirit is saying. Every week, I run into the temptation of moving away from the godly way. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Something we say, something we do. God says, always try to get back to the first love. Always promote yourself to do that. And always return to your first love. How do we do that? Well, we return to our first love by having a passionate prayer life. We return to our first love for having a vibrant love for the Word of God. We return to our first love by pursuing intimacy with God. And we return to our first love by uh, the excitement of fellowship with other believers. This includes teaching our children about agape instead of focusing on filio. The temptation is to focus on filio and to forget agape. When does a church lose its lampstand? Back to my, friend, my professor friend. When does it happen? When the church stops doing what the Ephesian church did. When the church stops preaching the pure word of God. When the church allows false teachers into its midst. When the church doesn't deal with sexual immorality like the Nicolaitans. When the church does not, um, does not identify the false teachers, at that point, you can still have the sign such and such a church, but it's just a club. As long as the church is doing what God wants, and by the way, that's driven by, a, and finally, the one, of course, that's most important, when a church stops being driven by agape, that can be a dangerous place for the church. Where politics is more important than love. Those things happen. Church is in a dangerous position. But when I heard that Pastor Wayne was invited to become the new pastor and Pastor Lori, uh, Pastor Wayne and Lori were going to be pastoring here, I breathed a sigh of relief. This church is in good hands. God has used them. These are good people. I've known them for many years, way before they ever came here. We prayed together. I knew their passion for ministry 
was driven by agape. Jesus commends the church. You're doing great stuff. No issues there. But he corrects the church and says, please, continue to allow the purpose of the church to be love, not influence. And he counsels the church into a proactive methodology of constant being on track and reevaluating and am I on track or not? Got to get back on track. How many of you have experienced that in your life, right? The Holy Spirit, got to get back on track, right? Constantly does that. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that um, for this church. Thank you for, for Pastor Wayne and Lori and their ministry here. Thank you, God, for the great things you have done. And we thank you that we can celebrate 30 years of ministry at Cornerstone. Continue to bless and anoint this place. We pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.